From the hallowed hallways of Shed High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. Dear friends, life is filled with unanswered questions, leaving some of us feeling adrift. As a public service to you, the listener, we want to do our part to put some of those conundrums to rest. Yes, welcome to the Round the World Answer Show. I'm Roy. And I'm Rex. Uh, We're the Answer Twins. We hoisted the giant bin containing all your cards and letters on a furniture dolly and rolled it into the studio. That's right, Rex. And if we read your letter selected at random on the air, we will send you the Round the World Fun Activity Pack. Roy, tell us what's in the Fun Activity Pack. Well, Rex, each one is unique. It could contain a plastic gorilla, a life-size model of a human brain, or an old bottle we found inside the wall when we were remodeling. Among other items, just just send in any question. Anything at all that starts with who, what, why, where, or when, or how. And we guarantee to come up with an answer. But Rex, before we get started reading listener letters, I think we should hear a musical question. All right, Roy. Al Boley will now ask the 1931 question, Who am I? <laughs>
That was the 1931 Savoy Hotel Orpheans, fronted by Al Boley, who asked the musical question, Who am I? Yes, and today we are answering the questions of you, the listener. And if we read your who, what, why, where, when, and how question on the air, you can check your mailbox for a round-the-world fun activity pack. Let's get started. Dear Answer Twins, my question is this. Why is there a sky? Rex, do you know why there is a sky? Well, Roy, as you know, the sky is a giant upside-down bowl over the earth that is painted blue. This bowl collects condensation of evaporating water from hot tubs and warm drinks in order that we may have rain for crops. On a side note, the moon hangs over this blue bowl on a string. Thanks, Rex. And a round-the-world fun activity pack is on the way to that listener. And now it's time for some musical questions. Connie Boswell wants to know, where are you? And she has the help of Ben Pollock and his 1937 orchestra. you cared about me Through. 
We heard the 1937 musical question, Where Are You?, posed by Connie Boswell with Ben Pollock and his orchestra. Then Harriet Hilliard asked, just plain, where? Ozzie Nelson and his orchestra providing some 1941 backup. You are tuned to the Round the World Answer Show, a service of WSHDLP Eastport. We're the answer twins, Rex and Roy. I'm Rex. Now, Roy, why don't you read our next listener letter? Okie doke, Rex. Dear Answer Twins, how are books made? I can handle this one. Um, <clears throat> books are made by taking blank paper and gluing one end of each sheet together to construct a binding. This creates a blank book. Then they take a special typewriter so that the contents can then be typed onto the blank pages in that book. In a separate step in the process, a skilled artist paints the picture on the cover with a brush made of a single squirrel hair. The finished product is then shipped to your local bookstore. Thank you, Roy. Uh, let's hear our next musical question. Here is Sully, Harry, Ish, and Jack with Kay Kaiser and his orchestra asking the 1940 question, What's what? <laughs> What with you know what? thinking caps and sharpen up your wits we're going to have an intelligence test <laughs> if your brain permits why you might be the star let's see how smart you are what's what with you know what it's such a simple question who said to the you know who you must have some suggestion don't tell us what Confucius said, it won't be apropos. But what's what with you know what, that's all we want to know. Kay, what did the mayonnaise say to the refrigerator? I don't know, Escobar, what did the mayonnaise say to the refrigerator? Close the door, I'm 
dresser. Oh, oh. What did the drain say to the soap suds? I don't know, Ace. What did the drain say to the soap suds? Goodbye, Mr. Chips. <laughs> what did the fawn say to the doe? What did the fawn say to the doe? You think it'll rain, dear? Ha, 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 the calf say to the silo? Is my father in there? Oh, that's all right. Say there, kid, do you know what the ceiling said to the wall? Jack, what did the ceiling say? Uh, hold me up, I'm plastered. <laughs> say, do you know what the executioner said as he pulled the switch? No, what? <laughs> This'll kill you. <laughs> Patrick Henry said about death all liberty, but what's what with you know what? Come on now, you tell me. All right, now, what did the one little duck say to the other little duck? Now, Ace, I don't know. What? Social security. Social? I don't get it. No, and you won't till you're 
Harry, Ish, and Jack, with Kay Kaiser and his orchestra asking the 1940 question, What's what? Then the King Cole trio gave a 1947 rejoinder of, That's what? And Tommy Dorsey and his 1940 sentimentalist piped up with, So what? Thanks, Roy. Uh, how about another listener question? Dear Answer Twins, Should I invest in pork bellies or iron ore futures. We're sorry, that was not a who, what, where, when, why, or how question. Oh, that's a shame. We can still send a fun activity pack. I mean, we did read their question on the air. That's true. Let's send them that pack containing the Halloween costume of the two-legged horse. Alrighty, back to our musically expressed queries. A double header of the question, why? First we'll hear Irving Kaufman with Vincent Lopez and his orchestra. (laughs) ¶¶ 
Say you're glad to see me Next day you pass me by Why do you do these things to me? Oh, why, oh, why, oh, why Though you could make me happy You always make me cry Why do you do these things to me? Oh, why? You're only teasing Just to make me cross But when I ask the reason You say because, because, because I just can't understand you No matter how I try Do you want me to hang around Or should I say Why do you do these things to me? Oh, why, oh, why, oh, why? Nineteen twenty nine interrogation by Irving Kaufman with Vincent Lopez and his orchestra, after which Dan Grissom asked, "Oh why, oh why," with Jimmy Lunsford and his orchestra in attendance. Welcome back to the Answer Show, hosted by us, Answer Kings Rex and Roy. Roy is fishing around in the giant mail tub we've wheeled into the studio on the sturdy furniture dolly, and uh, have you found another listener question? <coughs> yep, dear Answer Twins. Why is dad always so grumpy? Hmm, why is dad always so grumpy? Well, dad's parents always bossed him around when he was a kid and always said he never did anything right. And then dad got married too young since he was trying to get away from his parents. And now dad has a mean boss at work. But don't worry, things are going to turn around for dad in a few years and he won't be grumpy anymore. Let's send this listener a fun activity pack containing a bag of marbles and some plastic army men. I think that's a good idea. And uh, what is our next musical question? The 1923 Broadway syncopators are demanding to know, since when?
Arthur Fields with the Carolina Club Orchestra with the 1929 musical question, Guess Who? Before him, the Broadway syncopators asked, Since when? In 1923. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is the Round the World Special Answer Show. We, the Answer Twins, will answer any who, what, why, when, where, and how query you send in. And if we read your question on the air, your mailbox will soon contain a Fun activity pack. Who's next? Well, we have a question here. Uh, dear Answer Twins, what is our mailman's name? I want to leave him a Christmas present. Um, our experience is that all mailmen are named Jim. Wouldn't you say so, Rex? Uh, yes, Roy. In fact, I was surprised to learn that even our girl mailman is named Jim. Okay, our next musical question is posed in 1919 by Joseph C. Smith's orchestra. Who did it?
dat up there? Who dat down there? Who dat up there? Who dat down there? Who dat up there saying who dat down there? When I say who up there? Who dat down there? Who dat inside? Who dat outside? Who dat inside? Who dat outside? Who dat inside saying who dat outside? When I say who inside? Who dat outside? None of your lip there, big boy. Stop answering back. Give you a tip there, big boy. Announce yourself, Jack. Who dat up there? Who dat down there? Who dat up there? Down there. Who dat up there saying who dat down there? When I say who up there? Who dat down there? Herman and his 1943 orchestra just asked, Who dat up there? This inquiry was preceded by Joseph C. Smith's orchestra, who demanded to know who did it in 1919. Okay, let's read our next lucky listener question. Dear Answer Twins, how do they put baked beans in the can? That's an interesting question. The can is all sealed up. Just how do the baked beans get in there? Well, first they go down to the lumber yard and get a 4x4 post which is put into a lathe to turn it into a round can shape. These are cut into can-sized lengths. Each of these is hogged out using chisels and gouges. And uh, once this wooden can is hollowed out, beans, onions, molasses, tomatoes, and various spices are put in the space, and a wooden lid is glued on top. This then goes back on the lathe, and while it is spinning, is sprayed with molten metal, which cooks the beans and incinerates the wood, giving the beans that hickory flavor. Thanks, Rex. That was a good question from one of our listeners. How do baked beans get in the can? Now, for some more musical questions, Ella Fitzgerald would like to know, Who are you? (laughs) 
to break my heart in two who are you to taunt me night and day with strange allures who gives you the right of way to say my love so tense to keep me in suspense the way you do
treat me like you do To break my heart in two Who are you? To taunt me night and day With strange looks Who gives you the right way To say Keep me in suspense the way you do You'd think you were an angel From some falling star And that's exactly who curious to know just who are you? We heard Ella Fitzgerald and then Clyde Rogers with Freddie Martin and his orchestra. Both those queries from 1941. Oh, I'm trying to reach down to the bottom of this giant mail bin. Give everybody a chance here. Okay, here's a postcard with no return address. What shall we do with this one? Well, go ahead and read it. Although we won't be able to send them a fun activity pack. Dear Answer Twins, when am I going to get promoted? I've been working like a banshee for almost five years now. Well, I see through my telepathic radioscope that the reason you haven't been promoted is you don't look like a higher-up. You're, you're short and you look too young and your clothes are too colorful. Plus, you don't play golf and you don't drink. There's a promotion and a giant raise waiting for you at another company, though you might have to bluff your way into it. So keep your eyes peeled. Alrighty, good luck to that unnamed listener. It's time for another musical question. Jack Leonard wants to know simply, who? And he's assisted in that interrogation by Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra in 
Jack Leonard wanted to know who. Jack was backed up by Tommy Dorsey in his 1937 orchestra. This is the Round the World Special Answer Show on WSHDLP Eastport. Yours truly, the Answer Twins, will answer any who, what, why, when, where, and how query you send in. And we have time for one more question. Dear Answer Twins, where did I put my passport? It's been missing for weeks, and I'm planning a trip. Roy, do you know where this listener's passport went? I certainly do. I know exactly where it is. Open both doors of the refrigerator, then pull up a kitchen chair and stand on it, and you'll see your passport is wedged behind the Thai peanut sauce on the top shelf of the right-hand door. You see, when you emptied out your pockets on top of the fridge that night, the passport fell inside the door the next time someone looked for a snack. And a fun activity pack is on its way to this lucky listener. And what is our final musical question? Irving Kaufman in 1927. Who? You, that's Who's got what satisfies? Who's you? That's who. Who 
what I love to pet. Who is so hard to get? Who? You that who? Who's positively just as sweet as can be? Who's absolutely made to order for me? Who have I got to win? Who simply must give in? Who? You that who? They never mean a thing to me If you want knowledge Go to some college Back in school I was slow And I am frank to tell you so But here is something I do know Who's got the cutest eye? Who's got what satisfies? Who? You? That's who? Who would I love the best? Who is so hard to get? Who? From 1927, Irving Kaufman asked the question, Who? You, that's who. And this wraps up our special answer show, hosted by the Answer Twins, Roy and Rex, who have an answer for any who, what, where, when, why, or how question. Several lucky listeners will receive the Round the World Fun Activity Pack because their question was read on the air. We also heard various musical questions from our esteemed panel of 78 RPM celebrities. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. Please submit all questions on cracklinjane.com. We pause now for station identification. You are listening to WSHDLP Esport. Welcome, friends, to Hour 2 of Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. It's time for radio dramas that ask some important questions. We'll start with the 1944 episode of It Pays to be Ignorant, which asks, why is marriage like taking a bath? So let's listen. Why is marriage like taking a bath? Because after you get used to it, it's not so hot. Correct. Pay that man $8. What is an old maid? A yes woman who never got a chance to talk. Correct. Pay that man because... It pays to be ignorant. A zany half hour with those masters of insanity, Harry McNaughton, George Shelton, the nail-up girl Lula McConnell, and featuring Doc Novick's orchestra. But now, here's the man who proves it pays to be ignorant, Tom Howard. Well, here we are again with that quiz program only for people in their second childhood. We have a board of experts who think Yale College is where they make lots. 
First, we have the celebrated author, Mr. Harry McNaughton, who has just written a book entitled Seven New and Exciting Ways to Eat Garlic or How to Become Strong. But here he is, Mr. Harry McNaughton. I have a poem, Mr. Howard. I imagine. A farmer had a cow he called Zephyr. She was really a beautiful heifer. But when he got near, the cow kicked off his ear. <laughs> and now the poor farmer's much deafer. If anyone tells you you can trust a cow, it's a bum steer. Aye, a bum steer. Very good, Miss McNaughton. Next, we have a woman who is so fat it takes her two hours to dress because she has to slow down for the curves. A woman, a woman whose family has no background, but she has plenty. Here she is, the girdle gravel, or the girdy, or the gravel girdy of the Floral Park, Miss Lula McConnell. My you bridge work is sure slipping tonight. <laughs> you know, Mr. Howard, I'm going, to, I'm going to the movies tomorrow night. You are? Yeah, and I've got to get there early. Uh-huh. I'm so thrilled. What's so thrilling about going to the movies? Well, they got a sign outside. Yes. Yeah. It says, servicemen, 25 cents. Yes. Yeah. And I want to get there before they're all gone. I see. <laughs> Okay, next we have a man who the day he was born, the doctor said to his father, congratulations, I think it's a baby. A man, a man, a man, a man who has been up the river so many times, his friends call him showboat. Here he is, Mr. George Shelton. Say, you know, I got a brother-in-law up the river right now in jail. Uh-huh. And he don't like it. Isn't that too bad? He doesn't like it. Oh, they put him in a cell that leaks. It's full of water. The cell is full of water? Well, he wants me to come up and bail him out. Bail him out. Right? <laughs> well, there's the experts, folks. There's the experts. Any resemblance between them and human beings is purely accidental. Here is the first question. Let's try hard and answer it. It's a little tricky, this question, so be careful. Yes. I will read a poem to you. In the poem, there's hidden the name of a very popular city. A poem. A poem. See if you can tell me the name of the city. Here is the poem. There is a lady, poor as a mouse, has a sign outside her house. Washing done here every day is what the sign has got to say. Now, what's the name of the city? What city? The city I mentioned in the poem. I didn't hear you mention any city. <laughs> Mr. McNaughton, the name of the city is sort of hidden in the poem. Oh, how can you hide a city in a poem? Uh, That's so silly. I Mr. Mean... McNaughton, were you ever kicked in the head by a jackass? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Messy, isn't it? Messy, I Start. I'll start all over again. Now listen to the poem. Yes. There is a lady poor as a mouse. What's the lady's name, Mr. Howard? Uh, you're a moron. Oh, what an odd name. What an odd <laughs> When you listen to the poem, there is a lady poor as a mouse, has a sign outside the house, washing done here every day. Is what the sign has got to say. Now, what city did I mention? Is it a large city, Mr. Hart? Uh, all right, it's a large city. And you say the lady is poor. Poor as a church mouse. Church mouse? Oh, that's pretty poor. Yeah, Church yeah. mouse are always poor. Yeah, they've been hit pretty hard. Yeah, by the yeah. depression. You know, I, I, I wonder what makes church mice so poor. Well, I guess because nobody ever thinks of bringing a piece of cheese to church with them. Yeah, that's that logical. Well, I don't think it would hurt a person when they're going to church to take a piece of cheese and slip it to the mice. No, that wouldn't hurt them. Do no. you, Mr. Shelton? No, I do not. In fact, I, sh I think you should always take a piece piece of cheese with you when you go out. I yeah. the piece. So you'll never know when you'll meet a rat. Yeah. <laughs> How do you do, Mr. Sheldon? Will you please get back to the question? What city is mentioned in the poem? There is a lady, poor as a mouse, has a sign outside the house. Washing done here every day 
The lady does washing, I take it. Yes, yes, yes. Washing done. Now, what city is that? At least the lady is clean, isn't she? Oh, clean. <laughs> well, that's right. No matter how poor you are, you can always be clean. Ain't this awful. That's what I always say. <laughs> Must get awfully tiresome, you know, saying that all the time. Imagine always saying, no matter how poor you are, you can always be clean. Yeah, that's no matter how poor you are, you can always be clean. No matter how poor... Oh, you cut it out, please. What is this? Now, you know, I, I'm, getting, I'm getting tired already. You are. You should be. Yeah, suppose Patrick Henry stood up in Congress and said, no matter how poor you are, you can always be clean. <laughs> oh, but Patrick Henry didn't say that. How do you know he didn't say it? She was sitting in the gallery. <laughs> I was not. I was bowling that night. You were bowling. All right. That's your own hair. Look, can we please answer the question? Yeah, what was the question, Mr. Howard? No matter how poor you are, you can always be... Wait a minute. It's about a city. I'll try once more. Lady Poor's a mouse does washing. Washing done. Now, Mr. Sheldon, what city does that suggest to you? Now, concentrate. Yeah, I'll concentrate. Now, let me see. Lady poor as a mouse. You know, I don't seem to be able to fit the mouse in there. Never mind the mouse. Wait, I got it. I good, got it. Good, St. Louis. St. <laughs> Louis? Sure, St. Louis, Missouri. They are For a change, let's hear from our contestants. We've invited two members of the studio audience up here on the stage. They can ask the experts a question. If they get an intelligent answer, we give them four pre-war white sidewall tires. If they don't, if they don't, we give them two discarded soda straws. Who have we first, Mr. Roberts? First tonight, Mr. Howard, we have Staff Sergeant Martin Goldberg of the United States Army Air Corps. Well, This certainly is a pleasure, Martin Goldberg. We are very glad to have you with us. Thank you for coming up. How do you feel? Feel fine. Well, you certainly do look like... You have quite a lot of decorations there, young fellow, haven't you? Yes. Uh, what is that? What are they? Is that the oak leaf cluster? Three of them, isn't it? Distinguished Flying Cross and Air with three oak leaf clusters. Oh, the Distinguished Flying Cross. That is very, very nice. Yes, sir, son. It looks to me like you've been around. With all those things. Remind me to show you my elk's tooth sometime. We are... We are very glad. Would you mind telling us just a little about yourself? Where's your hometown? Would you care to tell us? Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, New York! Hooray for Brooklyn! I used to work... I used to work in that town. Ah, stop. Will you please? Yeah, I was. I was a sergeant in the dentist's office. Uh-huh. You were, you were a sergeant in the dentist's office? I used to drill teeth. Ah, oh, God, I Look, I say, uh, wasn't, uh, wasn't that kind of boring? That was kind of boring. Never mind, Mr. Sure. Sort of a mouth-to-mouth existence. Look, please, gentlemen, we have a guest standing here. I say, Sergeant, you know, uh, Sergeant Goldberg, I was in the last war, yes. And well do I remember one night we gave a party for our colonel, Colonel Berry. Colonel Berry. I was collecting tickets to the door when a lady and her daughter arrived, and I said, sorry, madam, but you can't get in without a ticket. Yeah, what'd she say? She said, young man, we are the Berries. <clears throat> <laughs> Well, I said, I don't care if you're the cat's pajamas. You can't get in without a couple. I see. I expect nice couple. He was right. Orders is orders. Uh, pay no attention to Martin Goldberg. They're just getting near their feeding time. What did you do? Uh, what did you do before you entered the service? Just got out of high school. Oh, out of high school. Isn't that fine? Well, you certainly have gone a long way. 
And I'm sure we're all proud of you, and they're all proud of you in Brooklyn. We're very happy to have you with us. Yeah, what's your first name, honey? No. <laughs> Martin. 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 Oh, isn't that a nice name? Yes. Oh, it's a pretty name. Okay. Ain't he cute? He's a nice boy. Oh, he's as cute as... Oh, he's as... Oh, oh. Uh, oh. Never mind. Will you cut it out? He's not Frank Sinatra. Cut it out, will you? Yeah, well, well, you can just call me Vanishing Cream. Vanishing Cream. I'm so soft. Soothing. Yeah. And you're good till the last chin, too. <laughs> Would you reach into the lunch cap there and pick out a question for us, Martin, please? Just any question you get a hold of, and would you be kind enough to read the question right into the microphone, if you will? What season of the year follows summer? Thank you. That's very good. Did you hear the question, gentlemen? There are four seasons, spring, summer, autumn, and winter. Now, what season follows summer? Now, that's a trick question, and I'm not going to fall for it. Well... Alford, you said. You, you practically answered the question. He did? Yeah. What did you say, Mr. Shelton? I said it was a trick question and I wasn't going to go for it. You didn't say go for it. Mr. Howard, what is a gopher? Oh. You... <laughs> you know, you know, I'm a gopher. You're a gopher? Every girl I see, I go for. Ah, <laughs> I don't get it. You don't get it. <laughs> Mr. McCartan, please. Why don't you bury yourself in a good book? Or better still, just bury yourself. Can anyone tell me about the season? Well, there's salt, vinegar, Never pepper. mind, Lord, never mind. What comes after summer? You know, Mr. Howard, I always hate to see the summer go, you know. So do I. I had a wonderful time this summer. Stopped at the nicest hotel up in the mountains. Had a lovely view from the window, you know. One morning I woke up, it was gone. What happened? She moved. She moved. <laughs> there was a nice hotel where I was this summer, too. Oh, did you have a nice room? No, I lived in the bar. In the bar of the hotel. Couldn't you get a room? Not with a bar in it. Not no. with a bar. Look, <laughs> the question is not about hotels, it's about seasons. Uh, you're not getting tired, are you, Martin? We'll be with you in a minute here. Well, if he is, he can come over here and sit beside of me. Sit beside me. come over here, Martin? Never mind, leave him alone. Martin, if you want to wait till after the program's over, I know, I know a cute little place called the Open Door. Yeah. Mr. Yeah. Connell, you couldn't get through an open door. <laughs> let's get on here. The question, let's get back to the question, gentlemen. Look, will you please answer it and answer it quickly? What season comes after summer? What season? Let me put it another way. Yeah. What season comes before winter? How do you like that? Well, wait, wait, what are you doing? Changing the question? I'm not changing the question. I mean, we, we can't answer the questions, you know, if you keep changing them well, all the, the time. Same the same answer will do for both questions. I didn't know we had two questions. There is not two questions. I just phrased the question differently. What was the first question? It was about a woman who took the mouse to church with her. Uh, it was not. <laughs> you know, the last time I went to church, I was insulted. You were insulted in church? Yeah, as soon as I came in, the usher said to me, Phew. John. <laughs>
let's rest with the next question. Here it is. Now, pay attention. Yes. I will sing a few bars of a song. You were to tell me what kind of hair the girl has that is mentioned in the song. Professor Novick, will you give me an arpeggio? Uh, give me an aspirin. Never mind. <laughs> Casey walks with a strawberry blonde and the band played on. You know, Mr. Howard's like singing is out of this world. I wish he was out with us. The band played on. With a voice like that, he ought to go places. I know that face. My wife gave it to me this morning. He's married the girl with the strawberry curl and the band played on. Splendid. Bravo. Splendid. Thank you. Thank you, music lovers. You know, That's I could listen to Mr. Howard singing until the cows come home. You could listen to me sing till the cows, till the cows come, come home. home. Yes, but when the cows come home, I'd rather listen to them. Okay, okay. Besides, you get milk besides. You get milk besides. That's just utter nonsense. Okay, let's get on. Mr. Okay. Howard. Yeah. Do you know all of me? Why not take all of me? Miss McCall, I'd need a ten-ton truck to take all of you. Now, look, what kind of hair did the girl have in the song? The girl that waltzed with Casey. Was that the Casey that went to the bat and struck out? Mm -hmm. He must have played with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yeah, oh, wait a minute. You know, my father was a baseball player. Your father was a baseball player, yes, yes. and you were his first era. Let's get on. I went to a baseball game last week for the first time. Yeah, yes. how'd you like it? Oh, it was too noisy. Yeah? Yeah, I stood up to see where the ball went, and some guy in the back hollered, Down in front! Sit down in front. Yeah, what'd you say? I told him I didn't bend that way. You didn't bend? Ah, oh, Yes, we have, Mr. Howard, and now I should like to introduce to you storekeeper third class Mary Howie of the Wave. Well, well, how do you do? Uh, 
good evening, Miss Holly. How do you feel this evening? Oh, just wonderful. Well, you certainly do look delicious. I will say that. But where is your hometown? Would you care to tell us? Elizabeth, New Jersey. Elizabeth, New Jersey. Well, you know about folks that. from home now. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. You know, I have a girl that lives over there. Oh, you do? Used to be my girl, nice girl, but she don't seem to like me anymore. She does. No. She I does. wonder how I could get her to make me make her love me. How you could get her to make her love me? Yeah, well, it's very easy, Mr. Sheldon, old boy. Just call on me, you know. Yeah? Or rather, and I'll tell you what to do, do you see? Yeah, what do you do? You, uh, you call on her with some flowers, a box of candy, yeah. then, then you go in the parlor and yeah. sit on the divan, you see, and then yeah. you put out the lights. Yeah, then what? Then you send for me. Right. <laughs> Let's get on here. Uh, we're very glad to have you with you. Pay no attention. What did you do before you entered the service, Miss Hart? I was a contometer operator. You were a what? Contometer operator. Yeah? That's yes. so. <laughs> <laughs> that, that must be nice work. Uh, what is the duties of a, uh, one of those operators? Uh, a barometer? No, no. Don't you try it. I can't say it. <laughs> What, what do you do? What do you, uh, some kind of a, an intricate machine or something? Oh, yes, it's very intricate. It is? <laughs> it yeah. does all the work for you. It's or does the work yes, for you? It does. Has it got brains? I suppose it does. I wish you'd send it over here for McNaughton or Sheldon there. <laughs> well, we're very, very glad to have you with us. Uh, uh, would you kindly do us a favor and reach into the dunscap there and pick out a question for us, please? Really Any right. question you get a hold of. Oh, that's Howard. Don't she look sweet in her uniform? Yeah, she, she does. Smart. She does. Oh, look yes, smart. indeed. She sure looks smart. Yes. Yeah, you does. know, I try to look smart and neat. Yeah. But I have dishpan hands. You have. You have a dishpan face, too. <laughs> now, if you will help us out by reading the question there in the microphone, we'll be very, very happy. Who was Queen of England during the Victorian era? Oh, that's very good. Who was Queen of England during the Victorian era? Did you hear that? I'm afraid we're going to have a lot of trouble with that baby. <laughs> Mr. McNaughton, you should know that question. Oh, indeed I do. I know the question very well, Mr. Howard. Yes? I'm afraid I don't know the answer. Oh, I... <laughs> I was afraid of that. Uh, Miss McConnell, uh, do you know who was Queen of England during the Victorian era? No, no. That was before my time. I see. <laughs> Miss McConnell, there wasn't any time before your time. <laughs> Who was king at that time? What do you mean, who was king? Who was king of England? King of the... Yes. You mean Victoria's husband. He, he was not king. He no. was uh, Prince Consort. I was at a concert last oh, night. Oh, cut it out. <laughs> it was lovely. Yeah, really. What, what did they play? Bach. Bach. They played Bach at the concert. Bach. I've never played that. I like gin rummy. Yeah, I so do I, but it's hard to get gin. It's hard to get gin. <laughs> Gentlemen, will you, will you please concentrate on the question that's about music? About music. I'm talking about the Victorian era. It lasted from 1837, I believe, to 1901. That was around the gay 90s, wasn't it? That's right. That was about around the time of the gay 90s. You know, those were the good old days when women wore skirts that trailed in the ground. Yeah. And we used to trail the skirts. And you used to trail <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Sheldon. I remember those days. Yeah. I used to wear a bustle. Yeah. Don't you think it's about time you took it off? <laughs> ah, those good old days, you know, when Big Ben was a watch. When Big Ben was yes. a watch. You remember those, too, Way do you, back. Mr. McDonald? Yeah. All right. Is there any chance of getting back to the question again? Yes, go right, ahead. go right ahead. Do you remember the question? Something about, uh, uh, yeah, about Big Ben? Oh, please, <laughs> cut it out. Who was queen during the Victorian era? 
the Victorian era. Now, that ought to be quite simple if you concentrate. She was Queen of England. Queen of England. Very popular and very a very well-liked queen. Uh -huh. Queen of England. Was there I'm... any other thing, any other little hint you could give me? Well, I could... A little hint I could give you. Yeah. I could tell you, Mr. Sheldon, that the Victoria Hotel was named after. Oh, I got it. I got it. Good. Helen Hayes. Helen Hayes. <laughs> to thank you, Mary Howie, for being with us. It was very sweet of you to come up here, and may I wish you a lot of luck wherever you may be. Just speak the English language fluidly, doesn't he? Huh? Fluidly, mm. yeah. Now, I'm going to ask him for his phonograph right after the broadcast. For his phonograph? Because he speaks the English language fluidly. Yeah. You eat fluidly, too, don't you? No, not necessarily. Come I'm on a diet. I see. Come over and water my lawn. You're on a diet? Yeah. I see. I'm going to diet pink, I think. Uh -huh. <laughs> Let's get on here. And let me correct you, uh, Mr. Sheldon. You don't mean phonograph. No? You mean his autograph. Oh, no, no, Mr. Howard. I beg to differ, old man. Oh. An autograph is something the Western Union sends you. I see. You're a way off, Mr. McNaughton. Really? That's telegraph. No, the Western Union sends you a paragraph. Ten words. Ten words. I see. <laughs> let me inform you a paragraph is just a subdivision in writing. Oh, no. Let me inform you, Mr. Howard. You're wrong. A paragraph is an animal with a long neck. An animal with a long neck? An animal with a long neck? Wait a minute, that's giraffe. giraffe. An odd-looking creature with shapeless legs, shapeless body, and the only sound it can make is a stupid croak. Now we're back to Miss McConnell again. Uh. <laughs> 
are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard an edifying 1944 episode of It Pays to Be Ignorant. Now, stay tuned for a 1943 episode of The Weird Circle, which asks the question, what was it? Phantoms of a world gone by speak again their immortal tale. What was it? All right, then. What was it? What was it? Nobody knows. But the house was haunted by something or somebody. The boarders here at Mrs. Dimity's boarding house didn't believe in ghosts either, myself included. But we were curious about them. That's why we voted to move into the old brownstone house on 49th Street. And once we were in, we were still convinced that ghosts don't venture abroad in a New York tenement building. The only one who wasn't quite convinced that ghosts exist only in storybooks was old Mrs. Dimity herself. But her favorite rumor, young, handsome Ned Saunders, and myself, uh, I'm Dr. Hammond, we refused to believe the ghostly nonsense. Ann Mitchell, the young sculptress who lived there, was frankly curious, while the Countess Harkavy, a fortune teller of some renown and a psychic of questionable fame, was delighted at the idea of living in a haunted house. That was in a business way, of course. It was around 11 o'clock at night when the boarders who were then assembled in that dark, dreary living room first heard what some claimed was a ghostly presence. Listen to that, Dr. Hammond. I hear it, Ned. It's an uncommon sort of sound for the wind. That is not the wind, Dr. Hammond. It is the cries from the spirit world. I feel it in the marrow of my bones. Oh, say, Countess, can't you feel things in a more comfortable place? Bone structures always struck me as a most uncomfortable place to have a feeling going on. Listen, all of you. Listen. Oh, skip it. Ned, will you pass me that magazine on the shelf next to you? I think any kind of reading will be preferable to listening to old psychic ears rambling. Sure thing. Hey, you are, dear. You really think this house is haunted, Countess? Yes, I do. It would be a fortunate thing for your business if the United States of America could be made ghost conscious. Dr. Hammond, you will live to regret that remark. The Countess will take you seriously. I am serious. And talking of taking things seriously, when are you going to start taking me seriously, Anne? When you start to make a living, Ned. Oh, someday I hope I won't have to try and sell my sculptures. All art is conceived out of the fires of struggle. Well, I'm tired of struggling. Oh, if I could just create something out of the ordinary for an art exhibit, I could make a couple of hundred dollars. I've been working three months for an idea, and I haven't done a thing. My poor dear Anne, as long as you doubt the extraordinary, how can you create it? She's got you there, Anne. Yes, she has, Dr. Hammond. Well, what would you suggest as a good subject for Anne to sculpt, Countess? Well, a denizen of the other world, perhaps? Oh, sure. That's rather a hot place for a girl to venture in order to sculpt the devil, isn't it? Don't speak so lightly of his satanic highness. No one knows where the devil's hand may be next. How about sculpting me, Anne? I'm an extraordinary young man. That you are, darling. Extraordinarily broke, at any rate. Oh, the woes of the world revolve on that ugly stuff called money. People take money much too seriously, Ned. 
Well, frankly, Dr. Hammond, if I had some of it, I wouldn't take it at all seriously. I'd scatter it around the world like a veritable windmill. Oh, frivolity. That's your trouble, my dear friends. Frivolity. You feed on it. Here in this very house is a poor earthbound spirit. And yet you ignore it. Come, Countess, you don't expect us to take it seriously. I expect nothing. What do you expect us to do? Call a spirit in and ask him to sit for me? Possibly, Anne. Possibly. Come, come, Countess, you're joking. I have never been more serious in my life. I think we ought to hold a seance and command the spirits to enter the room. That would be interesting, at least scientifically so. Nonsense, Doctor. Besides, Mrs. Dimity would never stand for it. Ever since she moved us into this house, she's been scared stiff of the very idea of spirits. Have you seen the amulet she's been wearing? Yes. (laughs) She carries it around like a sword. Why don't we ask her? Oh, we were just talking about you, Mrs. Dimity. Oh, dear. I tell you, I I just can't stand being alone in my room. I just know something was in there with me, Anne. I, I just know it. The spirits probably have been attracted to you, Mrs. Dimity. I've always felt you're strongly psychic. Oh, don't say it, Countess. Don't even think about it. It was all a mistake moving into this house. All a mistake. I've just never been as nervous. Dr. Hammond, feel my pulse. Feel it. It's practically non-pulsed, so to speak. Well, I wouldn't take it seriously, Mrs. Dimity. We all know there are no such things as spirits. You see, we've been talking about the ghost for so long that at times we half believe, but that's purely imagination. It wasn't imagination at all, Dr. Hammond. You know very well there are only five of us living here. You four were downstairs and I was alone upstairs and, oh, I did hear footsteps in the hall. I opened the door and I felt something cold touch me. Ah, you see, I knew it. Oh, listen. Oh, oh. it came from upstairs. Listen, all of you. Ah, and was that also the wind, Dr. Hammond? I don't know, Countess. What do you think, Ned? Well, I think the Countess' idea of a seance is a good practical suggestion. I'm all for it. A seance? Oh, dear. Uh, yes, let's give it a try. Uh, well, we're all agreed. Yes, uh, it's come on, Les. I think it's a good You're idea. in charge, Countess. Now tell us what to do. Well, now, for the first thing, bring your chairs into a circle, please. Oh, dear. I Now, hold hands. Will someone turn off the light? I'll get the switch. Good. Now we're in the dark. Quiet, please. Quiet while I summon the spirits. It is midnight, oh spirits. Midnight. Enter the portals of our room and speak to us. Speak to us. We are gathered to commune with you who have passed on. Withhold not your secrets. Speak. Speak. It is I, Countess Harkavy, asking you to descend to this mortal plane. Answer me. Answer me. If uh, if my Uncle Ezekiel's in the room and wants to talk to me, I'd talk to him, Countess. Yes. Mrs. Dimity. Ned, stop squeezing my hand. I'm not squeezing your hand, eh? Well, whatever you're doing, stop doing it. I'm not doing anything. Ouch, doggone it. What's the matter with you, Anne? You're so coy, pinching me now. I'm not pinching you. My hands are in my lap. Well, who's ever sitting next to me? Stop it. Dr. Hammond. I'm sitting across from you, Anne. Mrs. Dimity. Oh, dear. I wouldn't have the courage to squeeze anybody's hand at this point. Ouch. Well, whoever it is. Turn on the light, somebody. Turn on the light. No. Somebody's got hold of my hand. No, don't turn on the lights. 
The spirits have entered the room and are attracted to you, Anne. To you. Oh, please, please, turn on the lights, please. I'll do it, Anne, I'll do it. Oh, let go, let Oh, there. Oh, who? There's nobody sitting next to you. That's a vacant chair. But I felt it. Anne, did you imagine it? Imagine what? Did somebody squeeze my hand? I imagine nothing. Look, look at my hand. And tell me that's imagination. What's here, darling? What? Dr. Hammond, look. Hmm? Her hand is bruised. Hmm. Yes, it is. Pretty badly bruised. Countess, where were you sitting? Exactly where I'm sitting now, Dr. Hammond, and I haven't moved. You had your chance to do something extraordinary, Anne, but you muffed it. A pity is all I can say. A great pity. The seance is ruined. But, Countess, wait a minute. What for? To try another seance and have you become hysterical all over again? Good night. Dr. Hammond, is it possible that I really was holding the hand of something or... Anything's possible, Anne, but not very probable. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I said not very probable, Mrs. Dimity. I think perhaps the Countess has been playing a trick on all of us. It's a cute trick, Doctor. A pretty difficult one. If she wasn't playing a trick, she shouldn't have been so upset when you turned on the lights, Ned. Oh, Doctor, I think you've got a point there. Nothing like a good dash of logic to take the cold chills out of my spine. Well, how could the Countess do it, Doctor? Well, Mrs. Dimmer, the psychic phenomena is the Countess's business. After all, she makes a living out of calling imaginary spooks from the outer world. I don't think it's very nice of us to try and pry into her secrets. I hope you're right, Doctor. I do hope you're right. Well, I wouldn't worry, Mrs. Dimothy. Well, I'm going upstairs to bed. I've had enough spooks to last me for years. Oh, wait for me, Mrs. Dimothy. I'll go up with you. Good night, Ned. Good night, Anne. Good night, Dr. Hammond. See you in the morning. Good night, my dear. And don't worry about the spooks. They're purely harmless make-believe. Oh, dear. I'll never sleep a week, Anne. Well, Doctor, what's the tongue-in-the-cheek look? Oh, Ned, I'm afraid we've had our first touch of real psychic phenomena tonight. But you just said... I didn't want to frighten the women. And you believe this house is haunted? Haunted? Mm, Well, I don't like the phrase, but in essence, that's the idea. I was wondering if you'd be interested in trying an experiment with me tonight. Certainly, Doctor, anything. But suppose you and I spend the next few nights down here. We'll turn off the lights and wait. Just wait. Perhaps we can invite some trouble. We waited that night through without sleeping, but nothing extraordinary happened, except for the fact that Mrs. Dimity's rocking chair kept rocking all night long, creaking and squeaking as it moved. But the wind could have been responsible for that. The next night and the next and the one after that, we kept our nightly vigil, creeping up to our rooms like thieves just before daylight broke, so that nobody would suspect our secret experiment. On the fifth night of our wait, we heard the rocking chair creaking... Freaking, freaking. Doctor. Yes, Ned? That rocking chair couldn't be moved by wind tonight. There isn't a breath of air stirring. I noticed that, Ned. I wonder... Listen. Yes, the clicking stopped. Same as usual. I'll try to get some sleep. I can't. I'm as nervous as a cat over this whole thing. Yes, I am jittery, too. Ouch, let me... What's the matter, Ned? I don't know. Somebody attacked me. Help me, doctor. Help me. I... I... It's got its arms around my throat. There, I feel it. We'll find out who this ghost is in a short time. There, I've got his arms, Ned. My throat. 
Let go of my throat. Let me go. There. Can you hang him for the doctor? I think so. But he's as strong as an ox. No, you don't. Certainly doesn't sound human. Turn on the lights, Nate, while I hang on to him. We'll find out who this practical prankster is. I'm afraid to let him go, Doctor. I can handle him, Nate. You turn on the lights. Hurry, Nate. Hurry. All right. Oh, there you are. Go ahead. Doctor, where is he? He's right in front. I've got him by the arms. I'm, I'm hanging on to it. Well, this is amazing. Amazing, Doctor. Well, we can't see it. It's invisible. Uh, help me, Nate. He's trying to escape. Help me. I can only see him. There we are. I've got it. I've got it. But what is it, Doctor? What is this thing? I didn't know as I held the grisly thing in my arms. It struggled and sobbed and moaned exactly as a beast would struggle and moan. An invisible beast. That was the horror of it. An invisible beast. I sent Ned to the basement of the old brownstone to get some stout rope. At least we could prevent this horror from escaping. That's what I thought then. Well, Ned returned shortly from the basement and opened the door. Here you are, Dr. Hammond. Well, quickly, Ned, bind his legs. I... I can't hang on to it much longer. Not as young as I used to be. All right, Doctor, I'll manage. Somehow, I... try to hold him on the floor. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, there you are, Ned. Now, quickly. His feet are still for the minute. There. I got the rope about them. Look. Huh? A perfect loop around nothing but empty air. Hold him and I'll bind the rope around him. Oh, quickly, Ned. There we are. That covers his feet. Now I'll bring it up here and around his legs. Here, give me the rope and I'll bind his hands. All right. I'm getting him bound up like an Egyptian mummy. There, that does it. Ah, what a relief to be able to let that awful thing go. All right, I'll take the rope now, Doctor, and bind it to this chair. He won't get away now, I'll guarantee that. It isn't very large, is it? No, about the size of a small boy. Yeah, but what is it? Have you ever encountered anything like this before? Well, frankly, Ned, never. Look at my hands, bitten and bruised. I wonder if I'll ever be able to move them again. What are we going to do with the darn thing now? I don't think that's our responsibility, Ned. I think we'd better call the boarders together and let them in on the secret. Would you like me to get them, Doctor? Uh, yes, wake them up. But don't tell them why. Just ask them to come down here, and I'll throw this rug over the chair so that they won't see the ropes right away. Ah, uh, don't ask so many questions, everybody. Dr. Hammond will explain everything. Come in, Countess. Come in, everybody. Don't be afraid, Mrs. Dimity. I'll explain it in a minute. Explain it, Dr. Hammond? Uh, sit down, everybody, please. Uh, no, Mrs. Dimity, not in the rocking chair. Oh, dear me. I'm afraid we're in for a revelation this evening. Uh, Ned, please close the door. Right. Strange are the ways of the world. Yes, Countess. The ways of the world are very strange. Mrs. Dimity, and the Countess has been correct about this house. There is something in it. Oh, what do you mean? 
There's nothing to be frightened of, Mrs. Dimity. Oh, spirits are often kind. Indeed, they're friendlier than many mortals. This isn't exactly a spirit, Countess. What do you mean? Exactly what I say. It's a beast of some kind. Oh, the doctor, is it in this room? <laughs> Mrs. Dimity, please. Yes, Anne, it's in this room, in that rocking chair. I threw a rug over it. Oh, unfortunate spirit. If you wish, Countess, remove the rug. Yes, of course. Why, why, where, where is it? It's there. You can see the ropes being held in place by it. What kind of a hoax are you trying to play on me, Dr. Hammond? It is not a hoax. There's a living, breathing something bound in that chair. But it's invisible. Oh, why, why, that's incredible. It's more than incredible. Would, uh, would you mind if I touched it? I don't see why I should. It's not my beast. The problem is, what are we going to do with it? What do you suggest, Mrs. Dimity? Mrs. Dimity! Oh, she's fainted, Dr. Hammond. I'll get a smelling salt right here in the desk drawer. <gasps> oh, I felt it. I felt it, Anne. I felt it. A captured spirit. I must tell my co-worker, Dr. Zarkoff, right away. He'll be so thrilled, so thrilled. I'm not sure that we ought to tell anybody about it. Are you, Dr. Ned's quite right. We should not. Oh, but Dr. Zarkox is the only living person constantly in touch with the spiritual night and day. Day and night, constantly. The smelling salt should be in here someplace. Oh, here they are. Until we find out exactly what it is, I don't think we ought to divulge the secret. Heaven knows what we've stumbled into. You're right, Ned. Here, Mrs. Dimity, take a deep breath of this. And how do you propose going about finding out what it is? Breathe deeply, Mrs. Dimity. Oh. Well, I was thinking it might be possible for Anne to make a plaster cast on it. Oh, that's a gay idea, Ned. Breathe deeply, Mrs. Dimity. You'll be all right. That's quite a good idea, as a matter of fact. Oh, no, you'll hold it while I make a cast, huh? If it happens to bite me with a pair of invisible teeth, that'll be my word. No. No, being a doctor, I shall use a little chloroform and put it to sleep for a while. We'll be able to make a perfect cast. Mr. Dimity, are you all right? Oh, I'll never be all right again. Well, Anne, are you willing to give it a try? Oh, I suppose so, Ned. I'll prepare the plaster right away. There we are, Anne. The chloroform has worked perfectly. Whatever it is, it's asleep. Before you start with the plaster, I should like to listen to his heart with the stethoscope. Certainly, Doctor. Uh-huh. Hmm. Normal. A little faster than is normal for a human being, but maybe we're not dealing with a human being. Yes, Doctor, that's very possible. Ned, would you hand me that container near you? Certainly, Anne. There you are. Thanks, Ned. Well, Dr. Hammond, are you ready? Yes, Anne, whenever you are. Oh, we might as well start. Two o'clock. We ought to be through by seven. And so Anne started to work to cover that invisible form with moist plaster. We watched her spellbound. The hideousness of the rough object which soon met our eyes was appalling. Anne's hands shook perceptibly as she forced herself to complete what she had started. Minutes changed into hours. The mold was completed and we had a rough idea of this figure. Then Anne allowed the mold to dry. By morning, we had a rough facsimile of the invisible beast. How can I describe what it looked like when it looked like nothing so much as a demon out of hell itself? Yes, shaped like a man with long, sinewy arms, but it was small, only four feet or so high. Its muscular development was amazing, and the face, the face looked like a cannibal, a demon. Cruel, tiny eyes, a tiny nose, and a twisted, long, a horribly long mouth, and sharp, shiny teeth. The first rays of light broke through the window, and I realized that the effects of the chloroform were wearing off. And... 
Watch out, baby's awake. I got him, Doctor. You better help me. Yes, of course. Here. Here, we'll hold him together. And, and... Yes, Dr. Hammond. We'll hold him down and you bind his legs with the cord. Yeah. Get that rope around his leg. Ah, good girl, Ann. That's good. Oh! Your arm, darling. It's bleeding. Don't mind my arm. Find the leg. Okay. Hurry up, Ann. Uh, that's the girl. Now, put the rope around him and pull it good and tight. All right. There we are. Give me the rope, Ann. I'll secure his arm. Ned, look at your arm. Oh, Doctor, he's deadly bitten. Don't bother about me now, darling. We can't let this beast loose on the man. That face you've done, Ann, looks like the face of a man-eater. Yeah, it does. Give me a hand, Dr. Hammond. We'll put it back in the chair and tie it. Clean it now. One, two, lift. There. Now, tie the darn thing there. What do you think we ought to do with it now? I don't know. You're the doctor. Well, I think we all need some sleep. First, I'll tend to that arm of yours, Ned, and then we'll leave the thing here for a while. Doctor, do you think we dare leave it here quite safely? Well, judging from the way Ned's got it tied up, I think so. Not even a spirit could get out of those ropes. Come on, Ned, I want to take a look at that arm of yours. Oh, I, uh, I'll leave the little statue in here till morning. You know, Doctor, it makes an interesting study, doesn't it? Yes, quite an interesting one. Extraordinary piece of work, one might say. Well, good night, Anne. Come on, Ned. Let's get that arm bandaged. We'll all think more clearly in the morning. We thought we could think more clearly after some sleep. And so the days went by. Ned and Anne and I stayed with that invisible beast constantly. I took test after test. Its heart condition, its breathing. Every test I took baffled me completely. For this invisible beast reacted to every test exactly as a reptile would react. Or to be more specific, a python. A type of snake which swallows an animal or a man whole and then digests it. As the days passed, we realized that since this was living matter, it must eat. We tempted it with every kind of food imaginable. Tried force-feeding it. But the animal never swallowed one bite of food. Then one evening, all of us were collected in the living room when those horrible sounds started. And I, I, it's hungry. And darling, we tried feeding. But you've got to get it out of this house. I can't take it any longer. That famous spirit will evoke the anger of the gods. My advice to you is to let it go. That's not very good advice, Countess. Whatever this is, it would be fairly dangerous news. Oh, isn't there anything we can feed it? It must be suffering horribly, Doctor. No food or water for two weeks. Yes, Anne, there is something we can feed it, but unfortunately or fortunately, we can't. What are you talking about, Doctor? Human flesh, Ned. This creature is a man-eater. An invisible man-eater. There's only one thing for us to do. Call the police and the medical society and turn it over to them. There's nothing more we can do. Oh, you'll regret this, Doctor. You'll regret it. You can't evoke the anger of the spirit world without payment in full. And will you make the call? Certainly, Doctor. I'll go with you, darling. Don't tell them anything about it. Just ask them to come over here immediately. And so, gentlemen, Anne called you and brought you over here. I've told you the complete story of the monster from the very beginning. Well, Dr. Hammond, as a member of the police force, I don't mean to doubt you. But where is this invisible monster? It died of hunger ten minutes before you arrived, Sergeant. Where is it? On the floor, here, next to my foot. You can feel it even if you can't see it. Here, put your hand down here. All right. Yes, Sergeant, feel this. It feels like a dead man. I tell you, it does. Sure, Doctor, what kind of a trick are you trying to play on it? Trick, Sergeant? 
Take my word for it, it's no trick. You felt it yourself. Ah, uh, many people know how to make a mass of material appear invisible. Chemistry can give you a lot of explanations of that kind of a hoax. It's no hoax, gentlemen, on my word of honor. It's no hoax. Ah, uh, tell us a better story. Come on, boys, let's get out of here. We enjoyed your fairy tales, Doctor, but we can't swallow that one. But, gentlemen, ask any one of us in this room. I swear to you, it's the truth. Look in the corner at that statuette. That's an exact replica of the invisible beast. Ah, now I get it. You're trying to get some free publicity for the art exhibition at the museum. No, gentlemen, I made that plan to cast myself from the invisible monster. Dr. Hammond's telling you the truth. Yeah? Well, if it's the truth, what was it? What was it? Frankly, gentlemen... I don't know what it was. From the time-worn pages of the past, you have heard, what was it? Bellkeeper, hold the bell. are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1943 episode of The Weird Circle entitled, What Was It?
1926 California Melody Syncopators. Just ask the musical question, who? Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. On behalf of Around the World's staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week. and aka the bass lady join me for jazz potpourri airing wednesdays from 2 30 to 4 30 p.m with a repeat on saturdays from 4 to 6 p.m from divas to crooners from the streets of new orleans to the clubs of paris with a little latin added for spice jazz potpourri is an auditory mix for your listening pleasure Join me Wednesdays and Saturdays on 93.3 FM, WSHD LP, Eastport. I'm all about that bass. Hey, have I got a radio show for you. Old Coasting comes at you twice a week. Thursday at 8, Sunday at 4, right here on WSHD LP in Eastport, Maine, 93.3 FM. On Bold Coasting, we don't just play the music, uh, we like to talk about it a little bit, too. It's music and commentary. It's a radio show with liner notes. Your kids can ask your parents what that means. Mad Pad. Mad Pad. Tune in every Saturday night at 7 and again on Tuesdays at 8 for Philly Joe Remarkable's Mad Pad right here on WSHDLP Eastport, Maine, 93.3 on your FM dial. Man, take this crazy pad. Man, it's a mad pad. are listening to WSHDLP Eastport, broadcasting from the hallowed hallways of Shed High School. Tune in Mondays 4 to 6 p.m. for Around the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane, featuring historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world, plus radio dramas from the golden age of radio. If you missed the show, don't despair. There's a repeat broadcast on Fridays 6 to 8 p.m., and if you miss that, just go to www.cracklinjane.com and download or stream the show at your leisure. Come on by Sam's Caffeine Cafe every Tuesday and Thursday morning from 8 until 10 a.m. I'm Sam, the proprietor. I keep all the tables clean. There are no sesame seeds on the floor, no schmutz from the night before, just good music. The first hour, a little bit softer, some Americana, folk, blues, a little bit of jazz, but by 9 o'clock, we are amped up on caffeine. We're playing up-tempo music all hour long. It's a grab bag. It's a fun place to hang out, and we would love to have you. We would. Please come by 93.3 WSHDLP, 
Eastport. Hi, this is Greg Williams. I've been collecting music first on 45s, then LPs, cassettes, CDs, and digital files for over 40 years. From the obscure to the sublime and the familiar to the mundane, it's pretty much all pop music of just about any era or genre. And I call sharing it with you unabashedly playing favorites. Please tune in every Friday from 1 to 2 p.m. right here on WSHD LP Eastport 93.3 FM.